Hello and welcome into the second episode of the Hoop Sneakers podcast. Um, and for those of you that checked out the first episode, thank you and I greatly appreciate it. Um, and so it's welcome back to you guys. Um, really exciting news um, for me since I recorded the first episode of the podcast. It has now been distributed to the major podcast providers. So you can uh, catch the Hoop Sneakers podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch of other um, platforms where you might find podcasts such as Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. Um, so for me, that was really exciting to see um, my name out there in those podcast providers. And remember, you can check me out on social media. I'm at hoops underscore sneakers underscore on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, you can find me at hoops.sneakers on Facebook. And you can find me by searching Hoop Sneakers on YouTube. Um, and so without further ado, let's get to uh, the topics of today's episode and be able to um, share my thoughts about sneakers with you uh, across those platforms and on podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about the big sneaker news uh, that happened during this week, which was the news that Under Armour Basketball is giving uh, Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid a signature sneaker. From there, we'll pivot to um, some of the interesting conversations I have uh, with with uh, people around me and some of my friends about recommending um, which performance basketball sneaker they should buy. And to finish off today's episode, I'm going to have a little bit of a discussion or some might call it a rant um, about low top versus mid to high top basketball sneakers and what features of a performance basketball sneaker actually impact upon how supportive that sneaker actually is. So without further ado, uh, let's get into today's episode. I'm not particularly surprised that Under Armour is giving Joel Embiid a signature sneaker. Um, Embiid is uh, Embiid is extremely popular in the NBA, and when he's uh, fully healthy and playing uh, at the peak of his powers, he's arguably one of the top ten best players in the league, just based on his two-way ability, um, the impact he has on Philadelphia's half-court offense, and the value he brings to the defensive end as a rim protector. So I'm not particularly surprised that Under Armour is making him a signature athlete. I am a little bit surprised that uh, it took so long or how long it took um, for them to make him a signature athlete. Um, He's been with the brand for two seasons now, I believe. Um, He made the jump from Adidas um, where he was wearing some of their um, bounce models like the Mad Bounce before they introduced the Pro Bounce. Um, So he moved over from Adidas, joined Under Armour, and for the last two seasons he's worn the Hover Havoc 1 and the Hover Havoc 2. Um, which is Under Armour's, one of Under Armour's team models. Um, and, of course, also implements their Hover Foam, which is in the name of the sneaker. Under Armour announced during this week that Philadelphia 76's star big man Joel Embiid was to receive a signature sneaker with the Baltimore-based brand. Um, the sneaker is going to be called the Embiid One and is going to be releasing around fall of 2020 or that's in the springtime for us down here in Australia. Um, so expect a release for the Embiid one sometime around September or October of 2020. In the news for the sneaker, it was uh, announced that it was announced that the debut or the release colorway would pay homage to Joel Embiid's native Cameroon. And in the presser for the sneaker, Joel Embiid said that it was going to be a lightweight basketball sneaker and it was going to be suitable for basketball players of all different positions. 
Um, we saw some images surface online shortly after the announcement and the presser, um, which are very likely to be uh, Joel Embiid's first signature sneaker. And you can check out those images on my Instagram at hoops underscore sneakers underscore. So the sneaker does look to be sort of a low to mid uh, cut sneaker silhouette, probably like maybe like a five eights, like some of Damian Lillard's previous signature sneakers, like a five eights booty. Feet they feature uh, both hover foam and micro G foam in the midsole. So that's two of Under Armour's premier um, foam cushion technologies, which is great to see them implement those um, top tier foams in a signature basketball sneaker, as they just did previously with Stephen Curry's seventh signature model, the Curry Seven. Um, so it's great to see uh, those premier technologies in the signature sneaker. Um, and then for the rest of the shoe, um, there's not a lot we can tell from the images right now. Upper looks to be comprised primarily of a mesh or a textile material. It, it looks similar to like an open cell mesh material like that was on the Dame 4 from Adidas. Um, so that looks is what it looks like in the images. Um, and then... It features an extremely aggressive looking action pattern, which is widely spaced. It's like a sort of a wavy radial pattern. Um, and I said uh, over on Instagram that it reminds me of, if you think to what the LeBron 16 traction was, it kind of looks like a, a, like a wavier version of that or something that was uh, reminiscent of what was on the Soldier 12, which eventually then it went on to inspire what uh, Nike implemented on the LeBron 16. So while I'm not particularly surprised that Under Armour's made Joel Embiid a signature athlete, what I am interested in is what Embiid's ability to sell the sneaker is going to be because traditionally or historically uh, across sneakers over the past 10 years or so that I've been interested in that in sneakers and in that sneaker space is that um, there's been a notion and oftentimes it, it, it it's correct that a big man doesn't Net doesn't necessarily sell many sneakers, um, and I guess the, the best example of this is probably Dwight Howard. Um, when Dwight Howard was playing MVP level basketball, um, multi multiple time Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and his Orlando Magic teams were going to the finals, he had a signature sneaker with Adidas, um, which uh, didn't sell particularly well um, and wasn't very popular. And in the end, he moved on from Adidas and went to peak basketball. And he had a signature sneaker there as well. Um, but of course, peak being a Chinese brand, there was less exposure of that sneaker and therefore it was less popular. And Dwight since moved on to wearing uh, Nike shoes. Um, and I think he's the most uh, or the, the best example of a big man with a signature sneaker, um, even though he was a a dominant NBA player and he's very pop he was very popular in the dunk contests um and going and uh, as a centerpiece for the Magic franchise but for whatever reason um that didn't translate into sneaker sales and as I was thinking about it, another one I thought of was um Carmelo Anthony um with Jordan Brand who had a he had a signature model for um over a dozen years um over 12 years I think the the last model in his line was the Mellow 13 and then Jordan Brand um, decided to discontinue Carmelo Anthony's signature sneaker line. At that point, Carmelo was probably past his prime in terms of being a premier NBA player and being a you know top ten, top fifteen, top twenty guy in the league. He was definitely past those days. And although Carmelo was a big time scorer in his prime, 
and you would consider him to be like a perimeter player playing one of the forward positions. I think um, as he's as he's aged and as his career has gone into post prime, um, I think you've noticed that Carmelo off um, had a lot of tendencies of a, of a big man, whereby you know he liked to post up on the block, get a lot of rebounds. Uh, he, you know, shoots a lot of mid-range jump shots, and you know, even though you could consider Carmelo a, a quote-unquote perimeter player, I think the way that he played the game of basketball was uh, more similar to a big man, and and therefore it may have been less exciting to watch, and then and then maybe didn't make him as as popular as some of the guards and the more perimeter-based players in the NBA, and therefore didn't sell as many shoes for Jordan Brand as they w- would have liked or would have hoped to, and I think the notion of a big man in the NBA struggling to sell a signature sneaker to the consumer uh, comes from the fact that, um, you know, the big guys in the NBA, are, you know, six foot nine, six ten, um, seven foot tall, and to the general member of the public who plays basketball once or twice a week, um, that it's not easy for, for the general member of the public to relate to somebody that big. Um, and Oftentimes, so they don't necessarily look towards their game as inspiration for the shoe that they're going to buy. And not only that, that a a signature sneaker for an athlete that's that big and that large can oftentimes lead to it being a, a quite a heavy or quite a bulky or quite a uh, what people consider an overly supportive sneaker. And a lot of people aren't looking for that. They're looking for a sneaker that's lightweight and responsive uh, and something that's more catered towards um, perimeter play or someone that's out on um, a guard or a smaller wing player. So that that is it's definitely something that I think can impact upon a big man's ability to sell a signature sneaker. And because of course, if you if you flip it around and you look the other way at you know some of the more popular signature basketball sneakers on the market, it's something like Under Armour's Curry series, which is. Uh, immensely popular uh, among younger people, but um, a lot of uh, older basketball players um, enjoy the the Curry line for its you know for its lightweight and its responsiveness, um, and the and then another and 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 the fact that you know Stephen Curry is a smaller guy, um, and he doesn't necessarily at times look like he belongs in the NBA. He, his best skill is as a shooter, which is for the everyday person something that they can. Uh, aspire to like you, you can't aspire to being seven foot tall if you're not seven foot tall but you can aspire to be a better shooter if you're not a great shooter now that's something that the, the general person can relate to Stephen Curry shooting because it's um, something that they might believe they believe that um, they might be able to get better at just like Steph and then another one that jumps to mind immediately is Kyrie Irving's signature line with Nike um, and again, Kyrie Irving is a, a point guard, so he's point guard size six foot two, six three. You know, he, he seems more similarly sized to general members of the public. And then the way he plays his game, it's predicated on um, ball handling, dribble moves, dribble combos, layups. Um, it's not necessarily predicated on big time dunks or you know massive block shots uh, and things of that nature. So uh, I think that he he has a connection to the fan in that way. And because his his game is based on skills that one could potentially think that they could learn themselves, then um, that en- that enables him to sell more sneakers to the public because th- they feel more like that they could be like him. Of course, Nike's done a great job 
um, with the Uncle Drew character marketing Kyrie via Uncle Drew and the sneaker versus via that, and it eventually became a movie. Um, so all of that really worked into their favor. They put out Uncle Drew colorways of the Kyrie sneaker. So um, Nike has done a really good job in that space. And I just think it's interesting to compare and contrast the popularity of a signature sneaker from you know a big man or someone that plays like a big man and flip that around to someone who's a perimeter player, like a, like I said, a guard or a smaller wing, uh, and that the fact that their games may potentially be based more on skills than, you know, uh, just size and power. So um, something interesting to think about there. Um, so that were my thoughts when I first heard that Joel Embiid's getting his sneaker. From what it looks like now, it does look like that it's not only going to be catered towards um, big guys who are um, seven foot tall and 250 pounds, but it, it would also potentially be suitable for people of all positions, which I think is great for sneaker companies to be aiming to produce a sneaker that is um, responsive enough for perimeter players and supportive enough for big guys and provides uh, a cushion setup that is responsive for perimeter players. So they feel like they're um, low to the floor and they have court feel, but it's also cushioned enough to provide impact protection for bigger guys. So I think that's the goal there. Um, and hopefully we do get a lot more sneakers coming out that anyone from um, the one through the five can pick up that shoe, feel like they can go out and perform at their best in that sneaker. Um, so with that, um, I'll leave that one there and I guess we'll move on to the next. acquaintances and people that I know, I get asked for recommendations about performance basketball sneakers, which of course, um, I welcome that. Um, I appreciate them asking. It means they recognize that my knowledge and passion for sneakers. But, um, but at the same time, I can find it really difficult and challenging to recommend um, a performance basketball sneaker to somebody. The next thing I wanted to talk about today is a topic that I personally find very interesting. Um, and that is when I get asked by friends of mine or just, or say Donovan Mitchell's uh, Don Issue 1 sneaker with Adidas, you know, they're, they're low top shoes with a low profile cushion that are catered more towards guards and perimeter players um, that play on the three-point line and shoot lots of jump shots. And then conversely, if you are somebody who thinks of yourself as a creator and a playmaker and a passer and good with the ball in your hands, then I'm not necessarily going to recommend um, to you something like the... So for me, when I'm looking at a performance basketball sneaker, you can generally break a performance sneaker down um, into five major categories. Um, and you can think about them you know, from the ground up if you like. I like to think of them as... So you've got your traction, you've got your cushion, you've got your materials for the upper, you've got the fit, and then you've got the support of the shoe. So they're the five major categories. And then if you want to dig a little bit deeper, there's some sort of ancillary uh, categories, which um, could be things like the ventilation of the sneaker, the lockdown, or the durability of the, the shoe. Um, I find that ventilation and durability fall into the materials um, category. Um, so what the upper is comprised of. Uh, generally uh, indicates how well a shoe is going to be ventilated and how durable it's going to be. Um, and some of those might play off against one another. So, for example, if your shoe's got a more old-school build and it uses sort of more raw materials, say, for example, like leathers or suede, then that shoe is probably going to be um, more durable because it's got um, 
you know, higher quality, tougher, well, not not necessarily higher quality, but it's got definitely like thicker and tougher material. So it's going to be a lot more durable, um, but your trade-off might be that it's less ventilated. So your feet do get quite hot in it. And then obviously on the flip side, on the um, conversely, if your shoe is like a, a textile or an engineered mesh and a more modern material, maybe like a knit, that shoe potentially is going to be a lot more ventilated. So you, your feet don't get as hot and, um, you feel a lot cooler in that shoe, but then on the flip side, you might not want to play with that shoe outdoors um, because it's, the material is less durable, so it's more prone to get like rips and tears and fraying and things of that nature on it. So those two often play against, play off against one another when you're talking about um, the materials. And then I find that lockdown uh, is a category which is probably more most closely related to the support of the shoe, um, but can also uh, the fit of the shoe and how well the, that particular shoe fits your foot has an impact on the lockdown of the sneaker as well. And when we say lockdown, we're generally referring to how secure and I guess locked into a shoe your foot feels. Um, so I, I think that's closely related to how supportive and how well supported you feel in the shoe. Um, but so generally when people say to me, oh, so Dan, um, what's, what's a, What's a basketball shoe? What's what basketball shoe should I get, or what 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 basketball sneaker on the market right now do you recommend for me? And I always answer straight away with, well, there's five major categories to a sneaker, so I would need to know which of the categories is most important to you in order to then get an idea about what to recommend for you. Because, you know, now just take this as an example. So if you're um, a big dude who gets down low, um, crashes on the boards. Um, and mixes it up inside, I'm not necessarily going to recommend something like, um, say, Steph Curry's Under Armour sneaker or something like, uh, say, Russell Westbrook's signature, why not, um, 0.3 sneaker, although Russ is a perimeter player. His Jordan brand sneakers are very bulky and heavy or even, say, um, LeBron something from LeBron James' signature line, which again are shoes that tend to uh, have a lot more support features and tend to be a little bit more bulkier. So then for me, so it's really important for me to know what categories of a sneaker you value most and then from there I can use that to inform me of what the recommendations might be. So, and the way I, I explain it to people is like take me, uh, I, I, I ask them to take me as an example and for me, when I'm looking at basketball sneakers, the things that are most important to me are the support features um, because my ankles aren't great after years of playing basketball and I've gone away from wearing an ankle brace. So for me, um, if a shoe's able to offer a lot of um, support and protect my ankles a little bit, then I'll tend towards that sort of sneaker. And I also really like a lot of cushion underfoot. Um, I like my shoes to feel really plush. I do like to get a little bounce and spring, but I do like a lot of impact protection. So at the end of my games, I'm not feeling like my knees hurt, my back hurts, um, you know, from going up and trying to grab rebounds and things of that nature. So I appreciate a cushion, which offers me a lot of impact protection. Um, so for me, cushion and support are two of the, most important things that I look for in a sneaker. Uh, and then so from there, I use that to inform me about where I should be looking. So if right off the bat, um, if I'm looking at other people's reviews or other people's feedback on a sneaker, if they um, indicate that it's not the most supportive sneaker, like so 
you might feel like that your foot comes off the footbed at times during particularly hard cuts or hard lateral movements, then I'm going to sort of rule that sneaker out and go, okay, that's not for me. Or if, or if they indicate that, you know, um, the cushion is, is, is catered more towards a firmer setup, which is aimed at court feel and responsiveness. Um, and that, you know, the reviewer might come off court and, you know, their feet are a bit sore and, you know, their knees are giving them a bit of grief. Then I'm going to sort of steer away from that sort of sneaker as well. Cause I do like, I do, I uh, like having a lot of cushion underfoot, even if that means I sacrifice some court feel. I don't mind being higher up off the floor if it means I've got additional cushion uh, in whatever form that may may be, whether it's air or foam or whatever it is. So I do. So for me, they're my two most important categories, and then I, like I said, I use that to inform my decisions on what sort of sneaker I should should purchase um, for myself. And I do find that a lot of the time, when I ask people that question, they're not even sure what they do like in a shoe. And it, it's, it's amazing how many times the answer to that question when I say to them, oh, what's most important to you in a basketball sneaker? They reply to me, oh, generally, I just like something that looks really cool. Um, so, I, I chuckle at that often because then if you're asking me for a recommendation, I, I can't tell you what you think looks cool. That is a personal preference that's what's aesthetically pleasing to you so i'm not able to inform that decision so if you see something if you see a sneaker and you love the way it looks or you love the particular colorway then go grab it by all means like if you if that's the most important thing to you the way it looks and you sort of subscribe to the adage you know look good feel good play good like if you want a sneaker that looks really cool or you love the way it looks that's fine then you go buy that shoe that's fine it it doesn't worry me i just find it really hard to make recommendations based on that um and also, like, you know, I generally do like to buy sneakers that I like the look of, but if there's going to be a shoe that's a really awesome performer and, you know, knocks out, knocks all the categories out of the park and it might not be the best looking shoe, I'm more than willing to try it out um, because at the end of the day, aesthetics don't have an impact on the performance of the shoe unless you believe that what I said, the stuff that, you know, look uh, look good, play good sort of stuff. Um, there's There's been people that have um, allowed me to sort of dig in a little bit deeper. I might ask them about what sneakers they've been playing in uh, over the past season or been playing in in recent years. Um, I, or some people might come back to me and say, oh, yeah, look, you know, I do like, I, I like it when I, um, when I stick to the floor and, um, you know, so traction's important to me. Yep, cool. And, you know, a lot of people like me, uh, you know, cushion's important. So, okay, okay, traction and cushion, I can sort of work from there. Or um, some people go, oh, you know, um, I like my shoes to fit me really well. And, you know, again, I, I don't like to be sliding around. So then someone's most important features are fit and traction. So then you can start to work from there and go, okay, which of the performance basketball sneakers are uh, top of the top, in traction in which the top and top in fit and then hopefully marry up a sneaker that's at the top of both of those categories and that might be really good for them. Um, so just those conversations based around what do I recommend um, is funny because often they ask me the question and then I come back at them immediately with another question of which are the things that are most valuable or most important to you in a sneaker but that's not me just trying to be funny or just trying to be a pain. It's, it, it genuinely uh, influences what my recommendation may be. Um, and I might not have one right there on the spot. I might then have to go back and do a little bit of my own research, which obviously I don't mind doing. I actually, you know, that's really fun for me. I enjoy doing that. So I go back, do a little bit of my own research. Like I said, look at those categories, try to marry up a shoe, come back with maybe two or three shoes that might be suitable for that 
particular person and their particular play style. So um, I find that really interesting. It is it's something that you know has um, it, it's it's something that's amused me over the time. And you know, now that I've started doing the pod, I thought it was be a good a good segment and a good thing to talk about. So you know, with all that said, we'll leave that one there and um, we'll move on to the next. Finally today, I just want to try and help break through the misconception that a mid or a high top basketball sneaker is inherently more supportive than a low top sneaker. Um, so low tops have been prevalent and popular in the across the NBA now, um, probably since Kobe Bryant released or and Nike basketball along with Kobe Bryant brought out the Kobe Four, um, and that was the first real. That was the first real big-time signature sneaker that uh, was very low-cut. Um, and Kobe spoke about taking inspiration from soccer or football and the way that a, a, a football boot or, or a soccer cleat is low-cut but is still supportive enough for those athletes to make their movements, their cuts across the football field. And he wanted to bring that into the basketball space. Um, and that was big-time. And that sort of challenged a lot of uh, misconceptions um, the people had about you know a a bas- a performance basketball sneaker needing to have you know a high cut ankle and having a lot of material on the upper up around the ankle to provide that sort of restriction um, for that joint and sort of to try and immobilize that a little bit. And I think we've come a long way in terms of sneaker technologies and the uh, and the different aspects of a performance basketball shoe that actually contribute to support. Um, so like for me, um, and in, you know, watching and reading a ton of reviews about performance basketball stingers over the past, you know, two or three years. And then of course, experiencing them for myself. Um, I, I can sort of talk in this, in this segment a little bit about the things that actually do make a performance basketball stinker supportive, um, rather than just the height of the collar or the cut of the sneaker. So, I mean, it all starts from um, from the bottom, so the outsole of the sneaker. So, right there, you're, what you're looking for is that the forefoot of the sneaker and the outsole that comes with it is wide and flat, and then that right there provides you with a stable base um, in order to avoid you from rolling over in that shoe. So, if you've got a wide and a flat forefoot, you're off to a great start in terms of having... A supportive shoe um, coming with um, you know having a wide forefoot often sneaker companies will will provide sort of like what we term like a lateral outrigger so that's where um, at that lateral part of the forefoot the sort of the outsole the midsole might um, extend out and be slightly exaggerated um, just to add even more surface area where whereby it stops your it keeps your foot flat on the floor and stops you from kind of rolling over on the ball of your foot on the lateral side of your foot there, um, right sort of just just back from where the pinky toe is. Um, And then sort of, so you go up from there. So then, you know, going up from the wide flat sort of forefoot base, um, you'll have the majority of sneaker companies include some sort of either TPU or carbon fiber sort of midfoot shank or torsional plate um, they'll term it different things. Um, so, for example, Jordan Brand has like the flight speed system, which is like a carbon fiber, um, like a moderator plate in a lot of their models. 
Um, you've Adidas in the Pro Bounce had the Propulsion Plate, which was TPU. Um, you see both Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's respective signature sneakers often implement TPU. Um, uh, like midsole plates, um, just for for torsional rigidity, and what that does is it stops the shoe from twisting on your foot. Um, so it provides some uh, some structure to the foam midsole to stop you from twisting um, too much, and it keeps that whole platform underneath your foot extremely stable to avoid you from coming off that footbed and then then rolling over on your um on your foot and obviously potentially causing damage to the ankle um so that is important then moving slightly up from what's actually inside the midsole is then the midsole itself um so it's it greatly aids the support of a sneaker if you actually sit slightly within the midsole. And by that, what I mean by that is that the midsole foam wraps up and around your foot um, in order to provide like a bumper or a barrier to keep you, again, everything's about keeping you on that footbed and on that midsole. Um, So if that midsole foam extends up and you're not solely relying on the materials of the upper to keep you on the footbed, then that again is something else that aids the support of the shoe. And then um, finally, one of the biggest things is that the shoe includes either an internal or an external heel counter. Again, it's generally made of TPU, so hard plastic. Um, Most shoes have an internal TPU heel counter. Some have an external counter, some have both. Um, But again, that is so important in the support of the shoe because that heel counter, again, it's all about keeping your foot on the footbed. And if you're able, if that heel counter is able to keep your heel in place at the back of the midsole, again, it decreases the likelihood that you're going to roll over and cause damage to that ankle joint. So they're the main things um, so those key features of a sneaker all impact upon the support and can be present in both a low top and a mid or a high top sneaker. Um, there's there's other things that aid the support. Um, you know, as I alluded to earlier in um, talking about um, materials of a sneaker, like if if you've got um, sort of m- more heavier. Uh, or more raw materials um, that don't stretch as much, often that greatly helps the support of the sneaker. The lacing system greatly aids the support and lockdown of a sneaker. So um, what sort of lacing system is it? How is it implemented? Um, You know, is it uh, lace loops? the, la- the eyelets are inside the upper or is it a lacing system where the lace loops are made out of like um, nylon bands or flywire type material? Um, does that lacing system draw your heel into the back of the shoe and keep it securely inside the heel counter? Um, does that lacing system um, spread out through the upper of the shoe and aid that lateral containment um, in the case of like nylon bands or um, the flywire? Um, so all those things together, uh, even the fit of the sneaker, does the sneaker fit you correctly? So if it doesn't, then some of these aspects, um, some of these support features might not work as well or might not work 
together to keep you inside the shoe if the shoe doesn't fit properly. So even the fit of the shoe impacts upon the support and lockdown as well. So that's why it's important to try to get your true size. Make sure you're getting the right size shoe for you. Um, you know, if you are someone that goes up half a size, that's fine. Um, but just know that that's what you need to do for that shoe. And that's why it is important if you have the opportunity to do so, if you can get down to your local retail and try them on in store. I'm not saying you have to buy them in the shop, um, but if you do, that's great too. But getting out there and trying them on, finding out what size you need for that shoe before going and purchasing them online um, uh, is really important. In, if, if support is something that you need and you value um, for your shoes. So, I just wanted to touch on that. It's something that I've been talking about for like over a year now. Um, it, it, it's something that a lot of big time um, reviewers on YouTube speak about. Um, the fact that if, even if a sneaker is a low top does not in any way mean it's any less supportive than a, hot, a mid to high top sneaker. I understand that there might be some things, um, again, um, potentially psychological of having a higher a higher cut sneaker with more material around your ankle, potentially it's, it feels more restrictive. Um, and then you feel as though you're more secure in that shoe and then that to you that shoe feels more supportive and I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to discount those things and those psychological aspects are very real in terms of um, how supportive you've supported uh, rather that you feel in a shoe. So, you know, that's just my thoughts on the matter. Um, I've played... In a number of low-top basketball sneakers now over the past 18 months to, to two years, and I haven't found any major differences in those compared to a higher cut or a high-top sneaker. So I just wanted to drop those thoughts in here just as we close off this episode of the Hoop Sneakers pod. Um, so that'll wrap up that, that final segment now. And Thanks once again for checking out the second episode of the Hoop Sneakers pod. Remember to check me out on socials, um, in particular on Instagram, at hoops underscore sneakers underscore. Um, the same handle, you can find me on TikTok and Twitter. Um, check me out on Facebook and YouTube by searching Hoop Sneakers. Um, and if you wanted to send me any feedback um, on this episode or, or the first episode as well, um, I would, that would be greatly appreciated. If you take the time to send it, I'll make sure I'll take the time to read it. Um, so as I said, um, to close off episode one, probably the best place to do so would be just send me a DM on Instagram or message my Facebook page, um, at hoops.sneakers. Um, and with that being said, um, I'll greatly appreciate you taking the time out to listen, um, to my thoughts about sneakers in podcast form. Um, and uh, like I said at the top, um, the podcast is now available on the major platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and others. Um, so I'd greatly appreciate you going there giving it a download, checking it out. Um, and until next time, guys, I'll catch you later.